Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. How do we help our youth thrive in today's world? I won't pretend that I know or have the answers, but I'm more than willing to sit with the question. And I love to get the perspectives of others as we seek resources and new approaches to growing our young people up. It does truly take a village, and thankfully, our village has collective wisdom. I have long thought that getting a better communication platform for our youth is important. Getting young people accustomed to group dynamics seems to me like a ramp to better emotional intelligence and inner awareness. This could have a hugely positive impact on our youth. Kids are often told what to do and how to do it. What seems to be missing is a place where they can honestly express their inner lives, their hopes and fears, their challenges and struggles, the sense of isolation that so many young people feel, and to do so in a way that's not judging or shaming of them. So given that, I'm excited to talk to my guest today as she is out on the edge creating this very sort of platform. Melissa Lowenstein is a writer and editor, parent educator, and group facilitator. Since 2011, she has worked for AHA, a nonprofit organization that brings social emotional learning, creativity, and character building to in school and after school programs that serve 2,500 youth and educators per year. Melissa has contributed to, ghost written, and co authored over 25 books on topics including health, parenting, education, and spirituality. Since 2008, she has been a certified trainer in the Nurtured Heart Approach, and Melissa has been a student of yoga for 25 years and a yoga teacher for 10 years. Here's my interview with Melissa Lowenstein. Okay, I'm here with Melissa Lowenstein. Melissa, it's great to have you on Basecamp for Men. I've been really looking forward to talking to you. Welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we do uh, the topic of this one. We do some episodes on base camp for men around parenting and um, you know, some, the emphasis so far has been kind of parenting sons into healthy masculinity, Mm -hmm. but it's really um, when we do the parenting episodes, I'm really looking for resources for parents because we're all kind of looking for tools for our young people. And you've been a, parent educator and facilitator for an organization called AHA, which stands for Attitude, Harmony, and Achievement. Mm -hmm. And to kick off, I just, I'm curious, like what first drew you to working with youth? Has it become a mission or you just were, did you always work with young people or is this something that's fairly recent? And and what was the impetus for that for you? Well, it really came from my desire to be the best possible parent I could be. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, before I worked with youth, I was a freelance writer and editor for many years, and I just wrote a whole bunch of books. And I actually happened to to get hooked in with uh, a parent and teacher educator who um, I wrote. I co-wrote a whole bunch of books with this guy, hmm. and it really got me thinking about how if if I really wanted to be instrumental to the world in some important way, helping people parent better and helping children develop better social and emotional skills was mm-hmm. a really good way to do that. And that's kind of what just in my constitution, that's kind of what I feel like I came in to do is to, is to help and be of service. That's great. That's yeah. Great. Were, were the, were the books um, of 
you know, was it the emphasis of the books, um, emotional intelligence or growing emotional awareness, or, you know, was it just a, what were the, some of the themes of the books that you co-wrote with that person? Well, and yeah, those books were all focused around a, a parenting and teaching approach called the nurtured heart approach, which, mm-hmm. um, is it's small, but spreading. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a very particular way of connecting with children that really, it's sort of positivity on steroids. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. But it, yeah, but it doesn't really, it's not, it's not, it's not rose colored glasses. It's really seeing the, seeing the greatness and, and the beauty and everything that comes through and to and mm-hmm. not give your energy to what you don't want and to what you do want instead. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I noticed AHA's tagline. One of them is inspiring um, youth to feel safe, seen, and emotionally connected. Yes. How? What? What are some of the things that you would do as a facilitator? Let's say you're brought into an after-school program. How do you help youth feel safe, seen, and emotionally connected? What sort of processes do you run with them? Well, it's really all about first of all helping them connect with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are not teachers; we're facilitators. So we come <laughs> into a group, and we usually do it in a pretty high ratio which is allows us to work with small groups of youth instead of 35 youth at a time. We get to work with seven or eight at a time mm-hmm. as individual facilitators. But what we'll do is we'll do check-ins. We have this thing we do called thorns and roses where everybody gets to sort of share their temperature for the day, what, where, how they're doing. And everybody's voice is heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we, do, we play games mm-hmm. that are all, they all kind of link back to things like emotional intelligence and communication and teamwork and all those good things. But ultimately the, the predominant experience for the the youth is that they're having fun and they're connecting with each other. That's great. Um, and we do have teaching segments that we do, but we we really do everything in an experiential way. We use skits. We involve the youth in discussions to help them build both social and emotional intelligence for themselves, and then also to do it in a context of becoming more deeply connected, especially to people that they thought they didn't want to connect to when they first walked in the room. Right, right. Yeah. Other youths or the adults or it could be a combination or... Everyone. Yeah, yeah everyone. Yeah. I mean, when we go into a classroom, for example, we we really ask the teacher, you got to you gotta do this with us. Don't just sit at your desk doing work while we mm-hmm. work with your youth. Yeah. Um, it, it's a mutualistic approach, meaning that we all, we come in there as equals to the kids. We have, we have stuff to learn from them just as much as we have stuff to teach them. Absolutely. What yeah. I'm curious about the buy-in from the youth because... It, it sounds like I run men's groups. I've done that for, you know, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. The buy-in for the men is, you know, they're coming in because things aren't working and they've heard that the groups really help. Yeah. So, and, you know, they're taking responsibility as a man, you know, it's like, I want my marriage to be better. I want my relationship with my kids to be better. Or I want the direction of my life to be better for a youth. What's the, what's the, you know, what's the sort of carrot or what's, what are they going to get out of it? that they can understand because I would imagine that some of them would just be like, I don't really want to do this. That's this, a really good this, question. The sharing yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I'm 16. I'm just, I don't even know what I feel, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start opening up to this person. You know, that's something that we, that we deal with every single day, not only mm. with kids, but also with the educators that we work with. I will right. say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like really you want us to sit and share with people. We don't know what's, what's wrong with you. Yeah. Um, you know, the carrot that we hold out is, you're going to make new friends. That's mm-hmm. that's really the most effective thing with with the youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's it really does sometimes have a sense of 
we're here, we're working with you. We're going to do what we're going to do. You can participate or not. Mm-hmm. And um, there are kids who just fold their arms and, you know, yep. pull up their hoodie and don't do anything. Yep. And um, our, our aim is to create a, you know, to have it be more fun to be doing stuff with us than not. Yeah. So it, it can be a slow burn. It can be a gradual evolution. And that's one of the reasons it's important for us to work with educators yeah. and also parents, because if they model these skills with youth, mm-hmm. they're in, in direct one-on-one relationship with youth, then, then the kids really start to see the value of it and they start to feel safe to step into being more vulnerable. Yeah. But it, it's, definitely, um, it's definitely one of our biggest challenges is buy-in. Is it, is it the groups that you run, you know, is it a set, you know, like an eight week thing, or is it like, we're going to run it all school year after school once a week? Like what's the framework that you find works best? We have a bunch of different programs. So mm-hmm. our after school program, we have, I think this semester we'll have seven different after school groups that run for mm-hmm. an hour and a half to two hours. Mm-hmm. And those kids sign up for those from the community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the kids that come into those groups had us in school too, and they liked what we were doing. So they wanted to do more. Yeah. Um, and so those are sort of the deep dive. Mm-hmm. Those are the kids who really want to be there, except for a, a few whose parents are like, you have to do this or else. Right. But then they always come around by the end of the semester. And I'm, most kids do do at least two or three groups per semester. And then I, we have I, in-school programs too. So I, I would think once they got a taste of it, unless they're just really arms crossed, like you said, yeah, they would really start to on some level go, you know what, this is really great because I'm able to talk right. about stuff that normally I can't talk about. Right. Or I did not know that my friend, you know, Bobby felt this way about his schoolwork or about his brother or whatever they are sharing. Yeah. And um, I would I would think for many of the youths, the the authenticity would be very refreshing compared to yeah. what they're seeing sometimes in school where it's a lot of status and and they're just, you know, I, I would think it's it would be a great counterbalance for them. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it's the facilitators who win them over. You know, we have Mm -hmm. these really charismatic, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the mom, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. So, I mean, I, and there are kids who are like, Hey, I dig you. So I'm going to show up, but we have a lot of staff from a lot of different sort of walks of life, different demographics and different ages. And when the kids see somebody that reflects who they feel they are, who they could be, Mm-hmm. That's a big part of the buy-in too. Ah, so you've got the cool mom thing going for you. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying for the cool mom. Yeah, that's I a got, good. Yeah. I got the nose piercing. You know, oh, yeah. like I'm, oh, yeah. I'm working working that angle as much as possible. Totally, totally. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. So, so let's say I'm a parent, and I've got a young person that seems to be isolating and not talking about things. Mm-hmm. This is something that you know I hear a lot of. Um, I. Some of it seems to be normal teenhood where you want to shut yourself in the room. But as a parent, it just sends this ripple of, uh uh-oh, you know, what am I losing them? Why won't they talk to me as much anymore? Um, What what would be your coaching on that? Because I have a feeling almost every parent of certainly an emerging teen or a teen would have this as an experience. And is it, you know, keep calm and just be in communication when they're ready or what, what's the coaching to help you help parents out there that are like, uh, you know, I'm really worried. I don't seem to have this situation the way I would like it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. The, the most common dynamic that I see that shuts the kid down is that every time the kid reaches out, mm-hmm. the pa- they get advised, oh, criticized yeah. or given a pep talk. Yeah. 
and ultimately the the art of the art of parenting teens in a way where they'll actually talk to you mm-hmm. is all about listening mm-hmm. without judgment and that's very hard because a lot of times a teen is going to come to you maybe and tell you something that you don't want to hear if yeah. they're really leveling with you they're definitely going to tell you something that you don't want to hear at some point sure and so th- there's there's practicing listening reflecting without judgment criticism or I mean, it's almost like the pep talk is the worst. Yeah, there, there totally. was a parent. There was a parent at our um, our orientation yesterday who was talking to me about his daughter, who's very shy, and he tried to get her to go out for swimming, and he took her to yeah. the swimming uh, tryouts, and she just had basically an anxiety attack. Yep, and she just couldn't handle it, and she's very mm-hmm. shy. Mm-hmm. So he was telling me, yeah, and afterwards, I just I just kept telling her like. If you had managed to push through this, just think what you would be doing right now. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's the wrong I, message." Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have time to download with him about uh, more about it. And he wasn't really asking me for advice, so I tend yeah. to try not to give advice when people aren't asking for it. But um, like that is the exactly yeah. the way to get your kid to turn away from you. That's funny. It's ironic because, as you and I know, like. I don't want a pep talk if I'm sharing something with you necessarily. You know right. what I mean? Like exactly. if, if I'm if I'm unpacking something with you that I'm struggling with, I may just want to be heard. Like yeah. and in the men's groups, you don't give a bunch of coaching to men unless they're requesting it and say, Hey, I really want to hear feedback from you men. I've got a situation and I just can't seem to figure it out. I'd mm-hmm. like to hear four or five perspectives on it. But mm-hmm. if a man's, you know, telling you about something that's going on, your job is really to listen to what's going on. And it, yeah. then we, we lose it with our kids because we think, oh, I must do something here. I must advise right. them You're or supposed to warn fix the them. Problem for yeah. Them. And yeah. it's just, it's not, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's no wonder that they're tuning out if they're getting a bunch of coaching that they don't want or, and that's not right. what they're needing. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I've, I've talked to many parents about this who they don't know what to do if they're not downloading advice because yeah. they feel like that's their job as a parent. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. I mean, when a child is younger, yeah, but but a teenager has to figure things out for themselves, and they know that. And if you're if you're going to heap a bunch of advice on them that they haven't asked for, they're going to turn away from you. Yeah, well, it's it also doesn't it send a message that I don't really trust your instincts and your street smarts. You have to listen to my advice on every little thing because uh, you know. Deep down, I think the message is, you know, I I don't trust that you understand the lay of the land here, and they often yeah. really do understand it. You know, so they do. They understand yeah. a lot, and they and they don't understand a lot. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it's really ultimately about the art of asking open ended questions, mm. so that you can, you know, it's you have to be kind of sneaky. Like I do this yeah. with my own kids, where it's like I know there's a place for me to give them guidance, mm-hmm. but it has to come at the right time and mm. in response to the right in, input from them. Yeah. So. Um, and it, and I really feel how how sensitive it is in that moment when a kid is revealing something. And the other thing is that they're afraid of getting punished, right? If they share something with you, so that's something that I I mean, for every family, it's different. Everybody's non negotiables are different. Yeah. Um. But I think it's really important to be clear. Talk to your kid. What are the rules? What are the consequences? Figure it out together so that it's not so much that oh, you told me that you you know went and smoked pot with your friends. Now you're grounded for a month. Right. But right, it, right. It, instead, it's a conversation um, that goes so that they feel like they have some agency. Totally. And then they don't feel like they have to hide things from you. Yeah. And they still will. I mean, that's the thing. Like, of course. I reali- I'm realizing that with my own kid. It's like, okay, he's not telling me the truth all the time. Right. Um, right. 
I remember, yeah. I remember seeing when I was living in New York City and there was an article in, I don't know, New York Magazine or, or Time Out New York. And it said it had two surveys. Uh, it had the parents of the teenager and then had the teenager. Mm-hmm. And it asked him all these questions like, you know, have you tried marijuana? Have you tried cocaine? Um, sexually, have you done this, this and this? And the parents were way off. Mm-hmm. on everything like sure. the, the yeah. kids were doing everything uh and the parents were like no no my daughter would you know she might do this but she would never do that and it's like nope <laughs> she's doing it you know and <laughs> yeah. and I was just like I have to remember this study for when I have a young person because you know they're not always going to tell you things because you know they don't want you freaking out or they they just right. don't feel like it's appropriate oh, to tell you you know that's the other piece that's so important is mm-hmm. um we all have different thresholds for freaking out. Yeah. Just just by how we come in, right? Totally. And for every parent, I think it's crucial to really work on your emotion regulation. Mm. So that because if my kid comes to me and tells me something really awful and I flip out, yeah. They're never going to tell me anything again. Right. So like to be able to to um host difficult conversations without mm-hmm. flipping out, that's a hugely important skill especially for parents of teens. So just grow, grow your ability to not make drama where it doesn't have to be there. Or even if it yeah. feels dramatic, just to be breathe and take it as it comes rather than, you know, oh my God, you know. Yeah. And you can report your emotions. You can say, yeah. wow, that's really upsetting to me that that you're sharing this with me right now and I'm here and I can handle it. Yeah. That's and then great. you go and then you go freak out with your partner or your friend or somebody who yeah. can hold it for you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I see you're you're a long time, you're a former dancer and you're a yoga instructor. Um, I come from an embodied background myself. I was I've been a rolfer for 25 years, which is a structural body worker. And I love and, rolfing. Yeah, yeah, me too. So yeah. and I love movement. And um, are you able to bring elements of that into your work with the with the teens and stuff, or is that is that something that you can include quite easily or is that something that also requires buy-in and it's maybe a little separate than what you're teaching them in the emotional intelligence area? It does require some buy-in. I think um, Mm -hmm. starting with mindfulness practices has been a really helpful thing so that it's not so much that you're doing something with your body, but you're noticing that you have one and noticing Mm -hmm. how it feels and Mm -hmm. in particular noticing how uh, emotions feel in the body. We really emphasize that because we do a lot of stuff on emotion management regulation, mm. which is a hugely challenging thing for teens, just yes. because of the way they're where they are developmentally. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they're doing the neural pruning thing and they're getting rid of the the neural connections they don't need, and we really want them to hold on to and build the ones that have to do with, oh, okay, I'm having an emotion and I feel it in this part of my body, mm. and it's okay, like mm-hmm. that. I don't have to be reacting to it. I can notice it and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's a big part of the embodiment that we do, and we also have a creative group. This is our after-school group, mm-hmm. which we do a lot of improv and movement and stuff in that group. So those kids who show up for that are not always 100% bought in when they come in, yeah. but they know it's coming, yeah. and they take they take the risk, and it's a really beautiful thing to watch somebody who's scared jump in that way. That's great. Yeah, so we do try to weave it into all of our stuff. We want we want integration, body, mind, spirit, everything. My, I, my son, he's, uh, he's blessed with an embodied kind of spirit in that he, he loves getting body work and he loves mm. to stretch and stuff. So I, we just encourage him that direction because 
everything in technology is pointing towards disembodiment and yeah. being up in your head and everything's abstract and conceptual. So it's like, for me, I feel like it's a super important piece if you can include an embodied practice um, for your young person or at least introduce them to it because um, the culture that we live in is not going to encourage that. It's, yeah. it's actually very counterculture right now to do yoga and to do these things. It's, it's still, even though it's gotten really popular, I'm noticing with the young people, sometimes I'm like, they don't seem particularly in their bodies to me. No, no. And I noticed that a lot and yeah. it, it kind of scares me. Yeah. Um, the, the, the level of disembodiment that I yep. see, like when I go into a classroom in a school yeah. and part of it is because we're making them sit in those stupid desks all day. I know. And like it's and, and in car, I mean, they're always sitting squinched up in a, like, even now when I go to do groups in the schools, I'm like, let's sit on the floor. And they complain about sitting on the floor. Yeah. Which is to me, like, I was so excited to sit on the floor when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a long time ago. But yeah, I totally agree with you that um, I think parents and educators have to be really conscious about weaving that in because it won't happen on its own now. Not the yeah. way things are going. Is, is AHA uh, expanding? Are you guys looking to, or do you guys have your plate full? Are you putting it in more states uh, or, because you guys are down in California, right? Yeah, we're Santa Barbara, California. Yeah. Is that something that is, you know, you, you've gotten as big as you want to get in your area or is it like, no, we're going to, we've got this, you know, five-year, 10-year plan to keep doing these trainings, but expand even more? And and what sort of resistance are you finding? Are you finding that the you've got a runway towards where you guys want to go or? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, funding is always the biggest hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a nonprofit mm-hmm. and most funders will only fund, you know, for a year at a time. Right. Um, so that's a constant struggle to, to make sure that we have the funding to do, to even maintain what we've been doing year to year. Right. Uh, but we've been doing it for 20 years, which is great. That's great. It is news. great. Yeah. Um, and what's also true is that we have this really great core group of facilitators who are really the heart of what we do. I mean, if one of the things that I would say about aha is it's a facilitator training program mm-hmm. because we have these really gifted leaders who have been facilitating and working with youth you know, for combined probably 50 years and mm-hmm. they have amazing skills and they're both therapists. And, um, so they're, we're all just always learning and learning and learning and learning how to, how to do this better and better. And we're satur- we're trying to saturate our area. You know, we've got mm-hmm. Santa Barbara and then we've got Carpinteria, which is the district mm-hmm. South of us. Um, this year we're closer than ever to really sort of saturating the whole district because we're working with a lot of the teachers, like almost 400 teachers mm-hmm. in both those districts. So that's kind of the first order of business is get really good at doing what we're doing at the local level. Yep. Um, and we are doing, we're presenting at workshops, you know, nationwide and, and, um, convenings and trainings for mm-hmm. educators. Mm-hmm. And we do eventually want to be reaching out past our little area and bringing what we do you know, nationwide, there's an organization called CASEL, which mm-hmm. stands for Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. And they're sort of the national umbrella organization for social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. And we are working towards being, getting on their list of organizations that they would advocate to come and, you know, work with your school district or work with your, um, work with your corporation or whatever, whoever yeah. wants social emotional learning. So that that's in the next probably four years, we're kind of hoping to to scale. And we have a new executive director who's all about that. So we're excited. That's great. That's great. So So is, is everything youth oriented then, or do you also do some stuff with adults in your trainings? 
we do work with parents yeah. and um, we, uh, we have a dream of working with them, um, you know, at the corporate level, because we feel like the, the skill sets and the competencies that we're bringing to the kids mm-hmm. are, I mean, we, we are still learning about and practicing them every single day as adults. Mm-hmm. We know this is all super valuable for everybody of every age to just keep practicing ways to be emotionally intelligent and connected to each other in a more honest, vulnerable way. I mean, who, who doesn't need that? Exactly. So um, we're really open um, and we get, we, get, we get interesting requests from out in the world when people figure out what we're up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're about to do a, a training for our board, our board of directors. It's, it's all the same stuff. Right. Yeah. And, no, it's uh, beautiful. It benefits everybody. Yeah. That's great. Well, we got to get you up here in Seattle. Um, we'll have to have a conversation about that. I'd love to see some of these trainings up here. Um, what, what resources do you find yourself recommending often to parents like books or train, you know, your trainings, aside in that obviously you guys provide so much resources for parents, but do you find yourself sometimes saying, Hey, go out and pick up this book or have you heard about this video or this website? Um, is there anything that you can recommend to our parents that, that is, that's besides the aha trainings? Yeah. Um, well, I discovered this really great speaker named Josh ship S H I P P. Um, when I was at a conference recently and he's, he calls himself the teen whisperer. Mm. <laughs> And he, he has some great, um, you know, the, he does podcasts and he's got a lot of different things and he has a website. So Googling him should, should bring up his, his information. Um, I would recommend that to parents of teens. He's great. Cool. Um, a former difficult child, you know, Josh, um, Josh was, (laughs) yeah, he was, he was a foster kid. He was one of those foster kids who got bounced from house to house. Nobody wanted to keep him. Ah. Um, and he, he grew up to be this guy who's trying to help people, you know, avoid that same kind of an outcome. Ah, I love um, it. Yeah. Ah. And then, of course, the, the, you and I talked about the Nurtured Heart Approach. Yeah. Um, the book, it's called Transforming the Intense Child. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually am a co-author on that book. And I, I still, I don't feel at all funny about recommending it to everybody because it's pre- pretty much, I mean, the Nurtured Heart Approach was instrumental for me as a parent of especially young children. Um, it's a little bit different with teens, but that approach really helped me have a, a, a solid idea. Okay, what do I do now? What do I do now? You know, people mm-hmm. wish, oh, I wish there was a guidebook about how to be a parent. And this is about as close as I've gotten with, were the, the tenets of this particular approach. So the book is Transforming the Intense Child, and it's by Howard Glasser and Melissa Lowenstein, and you can find it on Amazon. Um, and then also, I don't know, I think a big part of parenting right now is understanding things like attachment mm-hmm. and early childhood trauma, um, even, even for families that haven't really had to deal with major trauma, mm-hmm. it's still such valuable information for parenting well, I believe. And um, the book that I like the best on that is, is called The Body Keeps the Score. Body Keeps the Score. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one I always recommend to parents. Just it's so, and also for having compassion for kids who've been through a lot and who are acting out yeah. and who are reactive and challenging and difficult it gave me so much compassion for the so-called difficult kids, you know, who are absolutely been through a lot. I'm, I'm curious of your take. Like when we were growing up, you know, you had some kids that were struggling with things, but it seems like now it's so widespread this, you know, on the spectrum and ADHD and um, autistic uh, Asperger's it's, it's everywhere. And, as a parent, 
and a, just an observer, I'm like, is this caused by one or two factors or is this kind of our overall thing we've created with our, our culture? Is it, is it vaccines? Is it over, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it other than it seems like a complicated situation, but a disturbing one too. Like, is it, you know, or is there, are we just have, do we have too many toxins that, that are, that we have, or, you know, what's, what, what's your take on it? Well, you know, that's a huge question. Yeah. And, um, it's a, it's probably one of the best questions anybody could be asking right now. Um, and I think that ultimately the causes of all these challenges are gonna, we're gonna understand them better as time goes by. Mm-hmm. But ultimately what's true is that we are, we're dealing with what we're dealing with. There are a lot more non-neurotypical kids. There are yeah. a lot of kids who are struggling with problem behaviors. There, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just true. And whatever mm-hmm. the causes are, it seems like we, we really have to be, we have to not argue with reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like we have to be present to what we're faced with. And I think modern schooling is it's the challenge is that you can't put 30 kids in a classroom with one adult and expect mm-hmm. there to not be mayhem and chaos. Right. Um, yeah. Especially when you've got three kids who are, who can't manage themselves at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that. Cl- I mean, that's all it takes is one right. per classroom. Yep. So um, yeah. And I, I think communities of support, like the ones that we have at aha mm-hmm. are really, imp- have been really important. I think for a lot of kids who felt unseen and, unserved in school. Right. Um, they have an adult for every seven or eight of them and they get a lot of love and focus and attention. And the more I think of that can be provided for as many kids as possible, just in general. Um, I think that's, and then as we work to find out, okay, what are we doing wrong? Why is, why is it so hard for kids right now? Yeah. I think, Um, I think you're totally right that it's hard to see it right now as we're inside of it, you know, that with some distance, I mean, it's unfortunate that it might take a few decades for us to look back and go, oh, here's some factors that we didn't quite see that we maybe sensed a little bit on the fringe, but this ended up being a big deal. It's the schooling, it's the, you know, it's the pharmaceuticals, it's, it's, you know, the environmental factors, kind of the whole thing, but there might be a clearer vision of it as we get a little bit further away from it. Yeah, and I, I really love the trend now towards rather than than having a diagnosis, a diagnostic mindset. Although diagnoses are important because that's how kids get services. Yeah. Um, it, it, to say, okay, this is there's a, there's a, a spectrum of neurotypicalness, mm-hmm. right? And we can't we can't have n- normal be such a narrow part of that spectrum. Yeah. We have to we have to embrace difference in a much bigger way, so that kids don't feel like there's something wrong with them. Totally, um, and that they're not that they're not okay. What what would it be like if more kids thought they were okay? Maybe things would be a little bit better. Absolutely, no. I think that's great. That's a great insight. Um, yeah. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. You were just an awesome guest. I love how we just kind of found each other. I found you uh, in a kind of unusual sort of way. I, I typed in your name on people that I wanted to interview and then reached out and then you said, what, you know, how did you find me? And I was like, I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure. I wrote down your name. I think I read a piece, an article that you had written. And then I okay, saw yeah. aha. And I was like, okay, she would be really 
interesting to talk to you about parenting and and stuff. And you were so thank you so thank much. You. For, thank you so much for coming on. And um, we will uh, I will post uh, this. I'll let you know when we when we post it. But thank you for being such a good guest and being game uh, for coming on and talking to us. Oh, it was so much fun. Thank you so much, Tony. Absolutely. I love all the insights that Melissa provided us. An important takeaway for me is to be mindful of how much advice and coaching that you're giving your young person. Adults can have this as a sort of default approach. I know I've been guilty of this from time to time, but it leads to our teens tuning us out and for good reason. And Melissa actually sent me a follow-up email about this and she wanted me to mention a few things, so I thought I'd read you the important parts of the email. She says, I remember saying something about how it can really push a young person away when we advise, criticize, judge, flip out emotionally, or pep talk them when they come to us. What I didn't say was that if this is already happening for a parent, all is not lost. It just takes a while to reestablish trust. The parent needs to be patient and show their child that they can in fact share whatever needs sharing. It's kind of like luring a skittish kitten over to be scratched. And just as it is with a kitten, it's important not to appear too needy. Then she says, consistency is key. Anytime the parent backslides and can't resist being reactive or judgmental with the child, the child will probably move away again. Then the process starts all over from there. Being transparent with your child can help, she says. For example, hey, I know I kind of flipped out and got judgmental and harsh with you when you shared with me about what went on at that party. I regret doing that and I want you to know that I'm so grateful for your honesty. I want you to feel safe to come to me with that kind of stuff. How can I repair this with you to build trust again? It's really great. Another key thing that helps her with her parenting, I love this, is when her kids come to her with something challenging, she asks them, do you want advice, support, or just to be listened to? And then whatever they tell her, that's what she does. It's really good. And then she also says if rules have been broken, she doesn't address those until after the child has been listened to. And then lastly, Melissa mentioned an interesting resource in Josh Ship, who is called the Teen Whisperer. This sounds really interesting to me. So if you have a teen at home, go check him out. I'm going to. And that's it for today. Really appreciate you. Thank you, listeners. And we will see you next week. That's our show for today. Man, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.